I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch. I stink, therefore I am. The 13th Floor by Desfarts. Hey, Pete. <laughs> hey, Aaron. This movie's better than The Matrix, <laughs> says 13-year-old Aaron. Oh, hey. Whoa. 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 Armstrong, was, brain's weak. I, I was 16. 16 years old. Why saw The you, Matrix in theaters. Why would you the next month, saw 13th Floor in theaters and was like, oh, man, Matrix is good. This one's got some ideas I can really sink my teeth into, as opposed <laughs> to all that two action, action shit. Uh, yeah, but we're <laughs> which I don't like. Uh, the so the we, one idea is Craig Bierko, and the other one is whoa. What if we made Philip K. Dick real dumb? What if we made three Craig Biercos? <laughs> but anyways, uh, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme, and each month we do movies around that theme. And this month it's our second week of. Like, what's even real, man, month? Uh, where we are covering, uh, we'll start as a Matrix ripoff month. And then as we discovered, three of the movies came out the same year as the Matrix. A little weird. Uh, it feels like we should have found one more 1999 movie, but we didn't. Uh, we did the Matrix last week, and now we're on a movie that came out one month after the Matrix. And I remember at the time... The reports were that it kind of uh, was – it had its lunch eaten by the Matrix. I got to tell you, I don't think this was poised to become a runaway mega hit <laughs> uh, regardless of the Matrix financial success or not. Yeah, and the movie did technically make back its budget. Uh, I doubt Hold it on. made back You're its right, marketing budget and shit. Uh, it made 18 and it cost 16. No, no, no. It made uh, worldwide <laughs> – Worldwide gross, $18.7 million on a budget of $18 million. I read 16 and 18. Regardless, the movie just barely broke even for the studio uh, if, if, if it was a slight loss. It was not something where it was like, the Matrix made this movie disappear. It was like, no, the movie was already kind of going to disappear. Yeah, and... Uh, and Existence was a lower budget. I think it was limited release, so... But this it was, was always going to be an art house pitch. It's way too fucking gross and weird to to be to go up against the Matrix. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I do remember the poll quotes on it on the box, uh, the VHS box, were like uh, the Matrix times. Like there was a lot of like Matrix references and uh, the marketing uh, and uh, the the poster art and poll quotes because it was it. it I remember before I realized it was Cronenberg. Uh, Thinking it was like some, you know, uh, asylum version before asylum existed of like capitalizing on the Matrix. But we'll get there. Uh, obviously, I was wrong. I was also wrong about this. So I, uh, well, I'll just say it now because I said it on a couple episodes. So I have not seen this since um, probably 2000 because I bought it on VHS. Um, and I uh, really like the Matrix. We talked about kind of my some of my dumb thoughts on on the Matrix when it came out, which is alternating loving it and hating it. I was I was a huge sci fi, cool, weird concept person, um, and uh, but wasn't at the time like didn't really appreciate uh, action cinema at all. Like I thought, you know, 
The punching, even heavily stylized, was cool, but it got old after a little bit. Like, give me story, give me plot, give me twists. Uh, The gunfights as well. So, at the time, I saw The Matrix and I loved it. And then I saw this and I'm like, this is the thinking person's Matrix. Uh, Great concept, cool twists, but really focused on the story stuff. I was thinking while I was watching this movie, thinking when's this going to be over? Yeah, so had you ever seen this? Uh, no, I've never seen this. This was always stuck in my head as the movie that The Matrix ate its lunch. And I wanted to know how close it was uh, to this and also the similar uh, Dark City as well as the similar Existence. So when I started rewatching it uh, for this episode, uh, I was like, holy shit, it's not a Matrix ripoff as it's kind of like been just known by the culture. It is a Dark City ripoff. Big time. Like, it, feels it feels way more like Dark City. Than oh, my God. Feel, there's even the police officer who doesn't quite believe what's going on, who's not real. Like, it, it feels like a let's take all of the stylization out of Dark City, but, like, most of the plot beats are the exact same. Yeah, there's even the big reveal of uh, that, that the world is not the world they think, where they come upon, like – ate the edge of the plane of existence and they just kind of stare off into the abyss which is you know uh we had uh let's let's pause here real quick we had a dark city episode in our first week of the show um do you think we should re-release that this month and just like we could we could definitely throw it back out there it's it's our eighth episode or i believe or sixth it's it's really early it's in our first like when we were still listening to our podcast uh it was our first, like, uh, planned disagreement episode. I, it's one of my favorite movies. Peter has a more uh, nuanced take on it where he's wrong in some areas <laughs> and then really right in some other areas. Uh, but, Th- side yeah, note, we 13th should, we Floor should... made me like the like Dark City more. <laughs> it, it is amazing. Like, I don't want to g- jump ahead to our plot recap on uh, 13th Floor, but, like, all the elements are there. Like, uh the our main character can't remember but maybe a killer like mysterious uh love interest that they may have a past with but not sure like twist reveal another guy who like decides he's going to be a killer when he finds out the nature of the universe like the guy who's uh the one of the coat guys i forget what they're called the shifters in dark city the strangers the strangers who's remember he starts running around being a serial killer too uh yeah. It it is crazy how much like the bones of this movie, and that's why I do I do think the bones of this movie are pretty good. Now, but we should flash back a little because something I didn't realize till a few years ago um, is that uh, the this can't really be a, a ripoff of Dark City because it is a um, adaptation of a book. Well, I'm dropped. Uh Simulacron three. <laughs> Oh, I'm thinking of the <laughs> the German adaptation. Well, um, drucked. Yeah, Simulacon 3 is the book which came out in the 40s. I haven't read the book. but came then out in it, 1965, I think. Yeah, like I said, the 1930s, um, but like the <laughs> 1930s of this. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, the 19th century is technically the 1800s. <laughs> yeah. The uh, 19th, you just add 30 years to whatever. So the 1930s are technically... Here's the thing. In the 1960s, it was made. They went into a simulation that was set in the 30s and wrote the book. So technically, we're both right, Peter. Yeah, when you yeah. think about it like that, very specific. <laughs> yeah, when you, thing. yeah, when you view it through your weird altered reality goggles, then yeah, I guess I could see it that way. Thank you. 
Thank you for saying I'm right. Also, uh, we could have just, instead of doing altered reality movies, we could have just done a whole month of us uh, having Google glasses on and just going, whoa, <laughs> whoa, that shark's close. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm opening my mail <laughs> without using my hands. Crazy. <laughs> and just shake my head a bunch or something. Um, so, but that, that book was uh, adapted into a television miniseries. Uh, called World on a Wire in 1973, uh, directed by Michael Fassbender. Another, no, uh, <laughs> yep, Michael Fassbender. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, I'm checking my notes. I believe it says Fassbinder. <laughs> or is it? Or is it Fassbinder? <laughs> Say some German. Rainier. Stuff. Yeah, and that's Rainier. Werner. Everyone knows Rainier. Werner. Fassbinder. Oh, it's Fassbender. Fassbinder. Fast binder. <laughs> Fast binder. You know, you know those binders. That, too slow, not this yeah. one. It's like when Mitt Romney wanted to wanted to pick women for his cabinet. He didn't want slow binders. <laughs> Fast binders. He needs to find those women quick. Quick before they get away. <laughs> From his uh, administration. And in German that's Wert am Dracht. Wert am Dracht. By the way, everyone loves uh jokes about the 2012 presidential uh debates right those are good good topical humor uh yeah it was the time when uh our president just presidential candidates were fun to poke fun at because they were just you know just big sillies big silly goofs it was either like a kind of a liar or someone who's been a mild disappointment but with better general politics (laughs) um uh anyway so yeah, I have. So I've not seen World on a Wire. I have been meaning to watch it for the longest time, uh, especially because I had in my mind that the Thirteenth Floor was a good movie, uh, especially like from a twisty sci-fi concept perspective. Uh, and I think that's still true. I think I think we'll talk about. I think the bones of this movie, taken from a book, uh, adapted into a miniseries that is pretty well regarded, has been released on the Criterion Collection. It just and if if that's your first exposure to it, which um, I think this movie may have been, I don't know if I saw this or Dark City first, but either way, I definitely did not make the connection until now. It, it felt twisty and cool in the right way, um, but it really like watching it now. It does feel like an uh, like a Showtime Outer Limits episode from the nineties that got extended into a movie but i used to love those showtime outer limits episodes like they'd take a concept and they'd you know give you a couple twists and and uh that's what i loved is like this sci-fi nerd who was really trying to get access to like mind-bending concepts at a time when i you know when you're 14 15 and 16 where you haven't heard them all before like or heard all the different yet or huff paint yet yeah uh, I hadn't gone on my old magical mystery tour, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you hadn't taken the old brown bag vacation. Yep. What I mean specifically is bought the album and then listened to it. Magical mystery tour. Great. Beatles album. Great. It, and it got fool on the hill. It's state of chillitude. Yeah. Because uh, of the fool on the hill. Blue Jay way. Classics, Peter. Mm-hmm. All you need is love is at the end. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what the mystery is. It's a great album. <laughs> is the magical mystery? Are you Gene Shallot? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the mystery is. The album is wonderful. <laughs> the mystery is clearly the divine mysteries of Christ, right? 
Uh, yes, which we cannot hope to understand as mere humans. But, you know, who could understand stuff as mere computer programs? The Bjerks. The Bjerks. So, have we talked about the enemy of the show in a while? Let's talk about enemy of the show, Craig Bjerks, then we'll get to the movie. Before we do that, I'm I'm going to check on something that I feel like is very important that we just brought up, and we need to give closure on it. I want to see if Gene Shalit ever reviewed the 13th floor. <laughs> uh, No. <laughs> well, that's one mystery solved. Gene Shalit uh, did not review the 13th floor. Did you go to uh, the website, did Gene Shalit review the 13th floor.com? Basically, because I googled Gene Shalit and 13th floor. Maybe there's. I'll tell you what, based on that Google search, there's nothing that's even happened to Gene Shalit worth making a website on, on a 13th floor. <laughs> Um, also, I'm going to get this fact out of the way before we get too deep in the movie. Uh, you might not know this, Peter. Um, this wasn't on IMDb because there's no facts on IMDb because no one cares about this movie anymore. Yeah, there's, there are five IMDb facts and they're all things you could surmise from watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. Gretchen Moles in this. Oh, interesting. Huh. What do uh, you know? <laughs> um, but, but I think a fact that we should add is typically the 13th floor is not a floor they have in buildings. Oh. That's pretty that's pretty interesting. Typically um, unlucky. Cuz most buildings are only five floors. Yeah, that's the like unless you order the extra size buildings. Yeah. What do they call you, those? Uh bigger buildings. <laughs> or BBs for short. <laughs> oh, I had to walk up 12 flights of stairs in the old BB. <laughs> Mamma mia, these BBs are killing my knee knees. Oh, BBs. <laughs> I love jumbo BBs. Yeah. I, in retrospect, that that uh that nickname, that acronym was a was a true mistake um as everyone had to report on 9/11. Sad <laughs> <laughs> day. Two two of our favorite BBs. <laughs> <laughs> is that how they were reporting on it? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was like, definitely top 10 favorite BBs. It's, it's a shame to see a young talent like this go down. All those, all those conspiracy theories about uh, who really took down the BBs. <laughs> jet, jet fuel can't melt BBs. <laughs> Our president bragging about how he now has the biggest BB in New York City. Oh. Yeah, George Bush orchestrated the BBs. <laughs> Do you want to save me time asking you this later? Are we editing this out? I don't know. 50-50. What do you think? Yeah, I'll we'll flip a coin on it. Anyways, uh, there's uh, there's some big <laughs> some BBs in the film 13th Floor. Oh, there's some huge BBs. You floors to 13 or more. To At the end, floor. Peter? Huh? So many BBs. At like, the end, the reveal is like, hey, the ocean sucks now. They put buildings in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, guys, great news. 2024, new BBs. <laughs> what? The end new of this Chrome movie. BBs. At the end of this movie, they're just like, hey, guess what? Remember the beauty, the beautiful serenity of a beach? It's fucked oh, up now. But they're still pretty beautiful buildings, which is why they call them BBBs. Oh, the beautiful triple B B's. buildings. Yeah. Yeah, the triple B. Joe, so if you operate a business in a BBB, there's a BBB that you can file uh, reports on. Yeah, no, if your beautiful big building is not 
uh, keeping up with the businesses, you gotta you gotta go to the BBB. Yeah, that's where you gotta do one of those BBB BBBs. <laughs> yeah, and then you know if I felt affectionate towards you, I would call you my BB at the end of that. <laughs> um, did you fun fact? The BBB is located in a BBB. Whoa! Can they you should imagine? call themselves BBB squared. Can you imagine? This is the kind of weirdo episode where we're gonna get first time listeners <laughs> because there's gonna be someone who Google's the thirteenth floor. In like a podcast app, and it's like, oh, weird! Someone did do a podcast. This on This is it. this is <laughs> and the sort of shit that we own on SEO because no one wants to. Talk no one about wants the to talk about floor. it. And I can't imagine a bigger way to tell those people fuck off than <laughs> everything that we've just been doing, which is barely comedy, even for us. And our 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 whole. Uh, identity is wrapped up in like kind of a joke. Um, <laughs> it's like a half there. Yeah. Well, we give people. It's like we're pe- giving people a Lego set for a joke, and then after the episode's over, they can go make their own joke out of the pieces. Yeah. Ideally, you're going on your own magical mystery tour whenever yeah. you listen to this podcast, which means playing the podcast in one earbud and listening to the album by the Beatles in the other. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, for this song, I'm gonna. I'm going to tune out and listen to Penny Lane. <laughs> we can save people time by just uh, putting the Beatles on in the background of every episode and then fading up with the Beatles when we're being boring. Yeah, let's just stop editing. Uh, let's just re- release this shit raw and then fade up the Beatles anytime <laughs> we uh, we don't want to talk anymore. Not, not opening us up for any lawsuits. I think it's a great idea, Pete. Uh, this Beatles cast is going to be pretty good. The, oh, sorry. Sorry. This Beatles cast. The B cast. Uh, yeah. The BBB, BBB, and also Beatles cast. Yeah. You know, I, my favorite <sighs> band is the Beatles. I love them so much I call them the bees. Not to be confused with the band, the bees. Would you say they're the bees knees? As in beetle knees? Which are famously flexible in style. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I said they're, they're Beatles knees. Yeah. Obviously. Be- the bee's knees. The bee's knees. Capital B. Oh. Hey, how long do you think we can do word association before it, re- it gets into some sort of bohemian territory? At least 152 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We're coming up on we're coming up on our three year mark. Also, this, this could be a 30 year anniversary. I haven't counted, but it mid April feels right. It does feel right, doesn't it? We'll All right. Check that you out. know what else feels sort of right? Let's talk about the movie. The thirteenth floor. I almost hit stop. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to, Peter, or no? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I do want. I do normally, want to that's a this. that's a call and response thing we do to transition. Yeah, but as opposed asked, to shutting down and almost hitting stop on the recording. <laughs> you asked me, and then I, I didn't want to lie to you. <laughs> I, I lie to you That's so much. You, I just okay. couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> well, I, you know, if you're going to draw a lion somewhere, yeah. uh, you should draw a bunch of big green neon ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, just so All you right. know, I also need more wine now. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, let's get wine and then we'll talk about 13th Floor. Yeah. Great. There, there's some wine in this movie. Craig Bierko whining all the time. Oh, what am I, some kind of murderer? We didn't talk about, actually, hold on, back up. If you start yeah. fast-forwarding, we didn't talk about our Craig Bierks thing, which we do need to get into. We need to get Two into minutes. that a lot. We, we let's do it, let's do it right now. It. So, we have a few enemies on this show. Frank Whaley, 
Craig Bierko. I think, based on his recent uh, statements on Twitter, I think we got to add Dean Kane to the list. Uh, Dean Kane is officially canceled by We Love to Watch. We filled out the paperwork. And it, it has gone through by the time this episode yep. has been released. Yep. So now, Kane versus Zane, it's always Zane because Kane, not a contender. Yeah. We're, we're, we are not doing any Dean Kane movies on this podcast. I know it's going to disappoint some people, but. Uh, Whole months tossed in the garbage. <laughs> now that there could be no more Dean Kane. But to be fair, that doesn't even make any fucking sense because uh, we are very specifically doing movies featuring enemies of the show. So if anything, we should probably do more Dean Kane movies just so we can express our anger. I mean, I would love to do Sol- Soldier. Is Dean Kane in Soldier? Here's the problem, Peter. I think we did the Dean Kane movie. I think we did the one and he- we did it twice. Mm-hmm. No, Kane's so nice. Sniper. We watched it twice. No, 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 no. Sniper is a Billy Zane movie. Oh my god! You just lost your own Kane versus Zane. I know. Oh. I set up the stakes and then I failed them. Oh man! But like we said, it makes sense you did that though because Zane always wins now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, they're gonna have to. We're gonna have to re-edit Billy Zane into Future Sport. Yeah, who's in? Who's in Future Sport? It's Zane now. Zane now was <laughs> Zane was now. Dean Kane. No, it's not. No, it's yeah. Zane. So here's the thing about Craig Bierko. He is the worst actor in the world. And he ruins and every movie. He drags every movie down with him. Even screaming. Yeah. Even The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is a great movie where he is supposed to play an annoying tool. Like you think, okay, Craig Bierko, he just he just reeks of like undeserved arrogance and cockiness and like, I'm like a leading man. And he's a terrible actor. And in Long Kiss Connect, he's a side character, right? Yeah. And he's supposed to be an annoying side character. When you're playing the annoying smarmy character, and that is your typecast, that is your stick, and you somehow come across as annoying as a person as opposed to annoying as the character within that framework, Peter... We got some problems. He somehow breaks the rules of what a bland white dude actor are and finds new floors. Like, I remember watching this and being like, all the shit that we gave to Jay Courtney probably should have gone to this guy. And Jay Courtney still kind of sucks. Because, like, yeah. Jay, Cor- Jay Courtney, at least, like, there were a couple roles where I was like, actually, he's he's really good in Jack Reacher. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He can be okay. Yeah. He just, he just has very limited range. Yeah, and his, his range is so limited that it's it's almost imperceptible. Craig Bierko is someone who, like, I feel like he's being well cast as a douchebag, and he's still dropping the ball. Do me a favor, Peter. I want you to pull up Craig Bierko. Already done. On Wikipedia? Uh, on, on IMDb. No, go to Wikipedia, and I want you to just give me the reaction when you see the photo. Uh. Why, is he, why is he so happy about being Craig Bierko? Why is he biting his lower lip? <laughs> he looks like he's fake smiling. Actor dash. Sorry, can you read to me occupation line? Uh, Craig Bierko. He only has one opening line on Wikipedia. Not great, Craig. No, can you uh, read me the the occupation no, yeah, line no, below the picture? There. Is an American actor and singer. Hmm. What's interesting here? Can you please tell me what the last word means? Uh, well, here's what's interesting. I'm not. He says he's a singer. I'm not finding anything in his uh, Wikipedia entry 
that supports that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah, does he mean in the shower? He, it looks like he is in, uh, he's been in the Music Man and Guys and Dolls. So maybe he's a singer like that. But that's a weird way to say. Normally you just say actor. He was in, he was the Tony Award nominated. <sighs> I mean, must, must be a really good singer. <laughs> maybe it's good he has that. Uh, yeah, but Craig Bierko is terrible. And I, I didn't like him in this uh, when I saw it. Uh, and what he's what he's really really bad at, like he's bad at everything. He's just a just a big piece of fucking garbage. But what he's really bad at, if um, if I'm narrowing it down, is uh, chemistry with other human beings in a romantic setting. And I know this from watching a short lived Fox sitcom called Unhitched that was on for eight episodes, where he was cast. It's 2008, and he was cast as the male romantic lead it was like a friend situation uh but he was like the ross geller uh but somehow worse than ross geller because it's great bierko um but like he had like the he was the at, at the beginning of the show and it was only a beginning because they rightfully canceled it because craig bierko was in it uh he was like the person who was the main romantic interest was one of the other friends persons um and it was painful seeing him try to display any sort of chemistry and I know we're jumping ahead a little bit to the movie, but let's just talk about it now. Um, I think he met his match in lack of chemistry with another human being <laughs> with Gretchen Mole. I find her charming in a, in a few different things. Like in uh, she's really great in um, Boardwalk Empire, the show that everyone forgets existed. Yep. She was good in Rounders. Um, She's good in a movie that I'm convinced only I've seen with Tom Jane, Keanu Reeves, and Gretchen Mole called The Last Time I Committed Suicide. Mm. Never heard of it. Uh, I Yeah, I really liked it. But no, it does not exist. I think just in my mind. There's there's supposed to be this like love connection between the two of them. And if you took a picture of, of him and a picture of her and you didn't – you know, just a picture, mind you, not a moving picture, not a yeah. gif – uh, not a, not a, a talkie. You could be like, he's he's a handsome guy. She is very pretty. I could see them having chemistry in a movie. He has a sort of gruffness to his picture, his image. She has a sort of like he always looks confident for some reason. Yeah, it's com- a combination of like femme fatale and like wounded cat kind of thing going on she's she's got this like look where she's like she looks hurt but really she's gonna murder you it it, it looks like it can make sense and then as soon as they start moving nothing connects they just keep bouncing off each other every time they're supposed to be this beautiful romantic connection point and there's like there's no chemistry look i'm willing to blame it all on bierks but regardless i don't know if when gretchen mole was like hey bierks woo me and he's like, blah, 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 blah. and she's like, okay, I don't know how to respond to that. I guess I'll say my lines just as quickly as I possibly can to be, get this over with. It is, it's not just that there's no chemistry. It is, if you saw a high school play with this level of acting, you would go, look, I, I know I'm in a high school play, but this is pretty bad even for that. <laughs> like, it is amazingly unconvincing and it doesn't help that it's a lot of like starry-eyed uh like you you have to buy like a like a like a literally like a soul-based connection across worlds and it's like oh what's the line it's shit like i fell in uh, love with i fell in love with you 
you don't even know me when they say that line it's supposed to connect but the yeah. two people but instead you're like that's true that's factually accurate they don't seem to have any connection and they don't know anything about each other their entire relationship has been built on lies so far yeah maybe we met in another life yeah maybe it's like holy shit like it is it is pretty bad and i just i'm a little impressed i think i am willing to say that this is the worst acted movie on screen love screen of all time on screen love screen what do, how do you call those what do you call those the on screen love screens in human speak I, I think that's the exact term i don't know why you're correcting yourself <laughs> on screen love screen well uh, they're, they're on the screen and the screen is built for love like an on-screen moment. I think this is the worst. Can you think of a couple? Sometimes you watch a movie and like one actor is really trying and doing okay. And you can tell that the other actor isn't isn't meant for the, the job or they just have no chemistry. I can't think of a I, – I don't even know what this is. It's not even that they don't have chemistry. It feels like uh, they've both been, been shot with morphine <laughs> right before they have to talk to each other each time. It's – it is worth watching for a, a black hole that forms every time they have to look at each other. I don't mean this hyperbole. I can't think of something that fails this bad as a romance from an acting standpoint. Anything else. So, it, like, I don't, I don't buy in Dark City. I don't buy Rufus Sewell and Jennifer Connelly as, as like, a love thing. But the movie also kind of, like, lets you off the hook a little bit. Like you're not so you don't have to necessarily believe that they're a love for the ages. You can just believe that like there's an attraction. There's an attraction, or they're they're both going on this journey of revelation together. Yeah, and that's enough. But with this, like they both seem to be going on a journey of revelation. It doesn't seem to be impacting either of them at all. Like the entire scene where he discovers, like he goes outside and there's just like a fucking uh, oh, yeah, battle tanks uh, green yeah. line mode. It's yeah. supposed to be shocking for the audience, and but he doesn't really emotionally react to it. He's just like, well, I <laughs> guess I'm in the computer. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is something else. I'm, and thankfully there's a few heavy hitters. There's Armin Mueller Stahl. There is uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, who rules in this movie. And he gets but, to play multiple characters, which is like a playground for the D'Onof. Yeah. So, they're, they're, they surround him with some really good supporting cast. But uh, it's actually amazing how when they're not on screen together, they seem like better actors. <laughs> like, Craig Bierko, after you see him act with Gretchen Mole, all of a sudden feels like when he's just alone again, yelling at Vincent D'Onofrio, it's like, oh, this guy... Okay, I buy him as a human being again. And then they get together and it's like, it's like all the bones have been sucked from your face. You're just like, what is happening? How is it this bad? But anyways, Bierko, still enemy of the show. This only solidifies it. Fuck you, Craig. And uh, Gretchen Maul, we know you're better than this. Craig brought you down. You've done some good work. Uh, Gretchen Maul, 20 years after this movie came out. I would say not don't do the 13th floor again, okay? If they if they make a 14th floor and Craig's still around, get out. Get out while you still can. Get out of that elevator back on the 13th. <laughs> we should they should, we should make do a whole month of movies that just decided to continue the title even though it was ill-advised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the 15th floor. The trilogy wraps up. Uh anyway, I also while we're on it, I love the Matrix movies, but calling them just like fucking like reloaded and revolutions is just 
it kicked off a bad precedent for 20 years. I liked Reloaded. I thought Revolutions was dumb. Like, as a title. Like, Both of oh, them are reloaded. dumb titles, and they kicked off the stupid thing with, especially video games. It's most felt in video games where they're like, they're like, Soldier of Fortune, Revelations, Redemption, <laughs> colon, Origins, <laughs> Kane and Lynch, The Punch Story, Legacy Years. <laughs> Kane and Lynch uh, 2 has the subtitle Dog Days. Uh-huh. And I think it's because it's it's supposed to be like hot in the summary or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But also at the in the very last chapter, you you shoot a dog. So what's interesting? That's all I, I remember about Kane and Lynch. You played all of Kane and Lynch two for some reason. I played both of them and enjoyed them both for some reason. Peter. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. I've never played them. Uh, you don't need to. Uh, <laughs> but now that I know I get to shoot a dog. <laughs> the second one. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't a very good pitch. Uh, and uh, in one chapter, you have to run around naked while they uh, blur your private parts <coughs> and you have to avoid getting shot. So it's a stealth level where you're naked the whole time. So the way you phrase that I'm a little unclear. Is your character or your avatar naked or are you at playing the game naked the whole time? All of the above. Do they, do someone come to your house and blow your private parts if you get to a certain level? Yeah, they turn on a big wind turbine that just blows all your clothes off. Sounds pretty exciting. And my I'm eyebrows to... too. Okay. Uh, well, I I think we've broached. I think we we've, we've dipped our toe into the 13th floor. We'll say we. Is we're it on called the dog days because you Let's... shoot a dog? <laughs> <laughs> do they spend millions of dollars on a game and call it dog days and then you shoot a dog at the end? You, th- you think the, the ending twist was a pun? <laughs> I was just like, it's called Dog Days. Twist pun! Hot. You know, the dog days of summer. And at the end, yeah. they're like, guess what? You also shoot a dog. Should have been called Dog End of Days. <laughs> end of Dog Days. End of Dog Days. <laughs> well, with that, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's open the elevator. Let's stop holding the clo- door close button. <laughs> is that what that's called? Just the door yeah. close button? I don't know if there's a proper name for it. The the arrow points at each other. Yeah, the, so arrows would be like the like two two fingers touching in. Yeah, as opposed to the other one, which is two touchers two touchers out. Two touchers <laughs> out. That's 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 uh <laughs> I call my fingers touchers, let's not make it weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's two thumbs that's two thumbs out, like let's get out of here. Let's and go either way. <laughs> <laughs> As long as I get to leave. Um, but I don't want to go forwards or backwards, only left or right specifically. If you but go forward, you I, will end up in this situation again. Yeah. So left or right, ideally. Yeah. Uh, Peter, let's get off on the 13th floor. Oh I my don't want to get fun, off. That's a fun off. sentence to say. Uh, no. You mean the movie about jacking in? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's jack in and get off. On the 13th floor. Peter, you are alternate taglines. I wish I had never encountered the awful truth of Craig Bierko. Perfect. Uh, that is what uh, the his parents said. Uh, 
<laughs> after the doctors gave it to him. <laughs> gave it to him. Yep, that's right. <sighs> Peter. It's fine. I don't, you know, I kind of feel fine that our energy level's a little low for this movie. Uh, words aren't coming out right. Uh, so, yeah, the plot, the, Eric, movie, no. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the plot of this movie is there's a, a group of scientists. Uh, by a group, I mean two or to three people uh, who have invented something. We don't know what's going on. Uh, just let me start this over. <laughs> the plot of this movie is Armin Mueller-Stahl. He's in the 30s. He's having some drinks. Gives a letter to a bartender played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Says it to get some guy to some guy we don't know his name. I mean, we hear his name, but we don't know who that is yet because the movie just started. And he all of a sudden wakes up. He's in the he's like in the old 30s, the old timey 30s. Prohibition, the Nixon era, uh, <laughs> Vietnam War, Pearl Harbor. All the things happen in the background, probably somewhere. But anyway, so he wakes up uh, all of a sudden in the in the 1999s. Uh, <laughs> that that decade. Yeah, that, that decade. He walks outside. He's like, hello. I need you to come and talk to me quick. And what ends up happening, of course, is he gets murdered. Uh, then we, we cut to Craig and Vin, Vinny. And they're working in a lab. And they're like, we got a cool simulation. And I know the old man's been going in there a lot. And the police come. And it's the president from 24. Um, Den- Denny Hasbert. Dennis Haysbert. Please do not say Denny Hasbert. <laughs> Do not associate him with Denny Hassard. Uh, no. Yeah, he, uh, he, he is uh, Dennis Haysbert. Now I just associate him with insurance. Yeah. Every time uh, he's but, like, where'd you hide the gun? That's Allstate, Stan. <laughs> I just stopped from spitting all over my computer. <laughs> I'm a simulation. That's the Allstate promise. <laughs> um, so anyways, he's investigating. He's like, kind of weird. Your boss is dead. Your mentor. And he left all this, the whole company to you. Pretty weird, dude. And Craig's like, it is weird. I'm going to go into the simulation and find out what happened. So he meets. Uh, so everyone has an analog. So they have this program. It runs um, all by itself. Um, and these people have a lot. So these people are interacting even when they're not there. And they have avatars that are essentially living their own lives. And when they jack in. Uh, they jack right into their avatar mm-hmm. um, and when they leave they jack off they jack off back to the, the regular but it, but it really is a conscious transfer like you are you are not like it's not a VR it's not holograms you are you are basically taking your your consciousness and sending it into the into the computer world to exist as this person for short periods of time and we should say it's like it's like imagine it like tiers like you're on one level of the simulation and you can like descend down to the next level of the simulation. They, they don't know they're in a simulation. They think it's real world that you can send your consciousness into the computer. But we'll yeah, we they're the explore. only they're the only simulation that's ever built a simulation within yeah, we'll, a simulation. We'll get there. They don't yeah. know that yet though yet. No. So he goes and he's like, hey, where's that letter? Did this guy give you something? Kiefer Sutherland's like, no one gave me the letter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's like, I couldn't find anything, but there's something weird going on. And he kind of makes friends with uh, Armin Mueller-Stahl's avatar, and they try to, like, do some scammy things. Meanwhile, Kiefer Sutherland – or not Kiefer Sutherland. That's the other, <laughs> other movie. Meanwhile, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is like, something's really weird going on. And I read the letter, and the letter said, hey, uh, our world is fake. Uh, if you go go pick some place you'd never go, 
drive through every roadblock, everything, and just drive, drive, drive. And at some point, you're going to see, um, you're going to see what what I've seen. So, uh, Vinny Diafro is like, oh shit, I'm a, I'm a I'm a computer character in a simulation. I'm going to start murdering people for fun uh, because nothing matters, nothing's real. Um, and meanwhile, Craig Bierko, uh, Gretchen Mole is showing up, and she's like, I'm Armin Mueller-Stahl's daughter. I want to shut down the company. And he's like, I, she didn't have a daughter. And then they go through all their, like, maybe we've been in love in another time, in another place. Wink! Wink! Um, they fall in love. They sleep together. And finally, Craig Bierko goes back and figures out when 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 Gretchen Mole disappears and he finds Gretchen Mole's character working at a grocery store he realizes what's happened that uh he is also an avatar as is Gretchen Mole who's coming in they are a simulation as as you said Peter they're they're the only they're, there's thousands of these simulations in different time periods they're the only simulation that eventually built their own simulation as well uh, Gretchen, Mo- so Craig Bierko's real life avatar in 2024 is like became this guy that liked going into the simulation and murdering people. Meanwhile, Gretchen Mole, as his wife, or as as yeah, as his wife is like, I miss my h- old husband. And in 1999, Craig Bierko is really reminding me of of him. So she falls in love with him. Meanwhile, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, 1999, Vincent D'Onofrio goes into the simulation, and gets killed. When that happens, as you as as we mentioned, your consciousness switches. So uh, the consciousness is in the body of the simulation. It then goes into the 1999 version, goes up a level, as Peter said. Uh, so now the the murderous version is in uh, 1999. Uh, we'll talk more about that. He dies because then 2024 – Craig. this is a hard movie to explain. 2020 – it's not even that complicated, but uh, 2024, Craig Bierks invades 1999, murders Vincent D'Onofrio. Dennis uh, Haysbert uh, kills him because he's then pointing a gun at Gretchen Mole. That was her plan to get her real husband killed so that 1999, Craig Bierks could ascend to the – the as far as we know real level of 2024 so they could be in love away from all these crazy simulations <laughs> and i got a question for you pete i'm not sure if this was an amazon glitch but it feels really specific uh if it was it felt like a couple of the last scenes um when they were overlooking the beach like did like glitches like like it was a simulation glitch thing and then the end of the movies, they turn. It looks like a TV screen tur- was turned off, uh, and they make a big point of this being the real world. So I feel like the ending sort of lazily but subtly implies that they haven't necessarily ascended to the real world yet. I don't know if you picked up on that or if that's just crazy. I I think I think I didn't catch the glitchiness. I just kept clutch. Kept, eh. I just caught the obvious, like, TV turning off uh, thing. Part of me feels like that's the Event Horizon thing, or at least how I interpreted the Event Horizon thing, where at the end, it's just like, one last spook, but it doesn't mean anything. Don't worry about it. Uh, like I really had trouble one- determining if, yeah, the glitching was like, you know, it just felt very specific to those scenes, and like, it doesn't look like a digital rental normally glitching, yeah. so... Also, I, I suppose I should have remind. Also, a lot of the environments in this are CGI designed, so yeah. it's hard to decide if it was uh, bad rendering um, or if it was Amazon displaying incorrectly or yeah, if it was, yeah. So, 
But I just think, too, with the pan back and the whole, like, now the last line of the movie is something along the lines of, now we're in the real world. Yeah. And the real answer to that question is, who, who could who be bothered to give a shit? <laughs> who could be bothered? Like, I, I just gave all the rest of my enthusiasm to do that. We can get into personal history in a bit, but, like, while we're talking about the plot... I I know it was it's hard to explain. Maybe the movie's greatest strength is that I was never lost. Like yeah, it's, and it's it's very the plot is not that complicated, but you know there are some levels, some higher level ideas that they need to explain, and they were presumably explaining it to an audience that might not understand, that definitely did not read the book, that probably had not seen the German original show or uh you know tv movie all of that like they're they're they were probably assuming this is this is our audience's first you know large scale exposure mm-hmm. to these topics and like maybe it's the movie's only strength is that it is it does explain those concepts pretty quickly the fact is that that them actually explaining that quickly and us not being lost on that fact gave us the the extra brain bandwidth to focus on everything else about the movie that wasn't working the drama the, the you know the higher level concepts that are completely undeveloped the so the general shallowness of the movie uh the fact that it's not that exciting the fact that the performances are all kind of just mm-hmm. shit like the, the the fact that we i understood the plot so quickly on a first watch let me really focus on everything i hated about it so it's interesting you say hated. So I this is not a great movie, uh, but like I said at the beginning, I think it has the bones of a good movie. It does. Um, it does. And and so not only was I not lost, which I which would have been very confusing if I was lost because this is the third time I've seen it. Um, but I I wasn't bored the whole watch. Like it's it's a hundred minute movie, and I feel like it moves pretty quickly. Like. I, you know, there's enough, there's enough stuff that it packs in because, and part of that is because it doesn't save its reveal for the ending. It saves its reveal for about 65 minutes into a hundred minute movie. So right about the time, especially the first time that I had seen it, um, you know, you're meant to go holy shit around the time that you see Gretchen Mole working at the, as the supermarket uh, uh, cashier. And um, and then right after that, you're you're in theory having your holy shit moment the second that Craig Vierko's having the holy shit moment, and he goes and drives off and finds out that his world is not real too, uh, just like the note said, uh, just like nineteen um, thirties uh, Vincent D'Onofrio found out. So and then it kind of switches into this uh, this other kind of drama around. Okay, well how. Now Craig Bierko is realizing that he is also a computer simulation. He kind of has a little mini existential crisis. And there's the whole plot with the now we know that there's a real him and that real him has been using him. Um, so anyways, like I, I actually feel like it's extremely watchable as a movie. And I am curious, like how far ahead of this movie you were, Peter, watching it here the first time. Um. <laughs> I was pretty ahead. Not so ahead that I, I guess that, you know, the, there would be like an evil Vincent D'Onofrio and a good Vincent D'Onofrio. Some part of me assumed that the the uh, 20, 
sorry, the 1999 Vincent D'Onofrio, the long-haired computer programmer version. I assumed he would also be evil, like stuff like that. That like yeah. actually is it, it actually is a good twist to have him be like kind of sweet and and sincere and wholesome until he gets murdered. Yeah. Um but I was largely ahead of all the twists. I kind of had a feeling that there was going to be multi-levels of of simulation. Um I had a feeling that Gretchen Maul was not actually his daughter and was someone from outside that was all trying to gather some sort of data from this world. Okay. Like, like a lot of that stuff is kind of handed to you, uh, and but not in a way that really bothers me. I don't mind knowing what's going to happen 20 minutes out. Yeah, I I mean, I – and again, I'm looking – I'm thinking back to like literally at this point 20-year-old memories – but I remember being really wowed by that twist. I knew something was up, but the idea I, – I guess I wasn't quite prepared. I think I was thinking conspiracy more than um, that That this was like a the middle layer of the simulation uh, construct. One thing I also liked going back, I kind of forgot that this wasn't VR. Like, for some reason, I thought it was like a holodeck situation, which means nothing to you because we haven't got to that part in our Star Trek cast yet. But, like, like literally, like, you know, you turn it on and you're existing basically in a virtual reality space. I forgot that it was basically just, just existing in the computer and that they were literally transferring uh, their consciousness uh, into it. And as a concept, I still feel like that is a very interesting one. Even if the movie touches on some ideas and doesn't go anywhere with it, um, there's there is some stuff there. The thing I was complimenting the movie on, and I don't hate the movie, I just hate like the fact that the the main romantic relationship doesn't work. I hate the fact that it dumbs down a lot of these ideas to the point where I have almost nothing to chew on, um, and I and I do hate the fact that it seems set against exploring its own idea in an ambitious way like the matrix the idea that like every small idea is kind of explored to some extent and if they don't yeah. get to it in the first movie they get to it in the next movie right and we got to talk about how that's why almost every scene is iconic because like uh and actually there's a good comparison point to this movie right like matrix's version of deja vu that there's this glitch in the matrix and that's what you're seeing was something that like seeped its way into the culture this version of deja they do the deja vu thing in this as well is maybe that feeling is essentially because wait they do a it's just a maybe you've met in a different life before which is like so okay yeah what do i do with that especially because at that point craig bierko doesn't know that he's in a simulation so like what other life yeah you just assume it's it's um faux metaphysical bullshit yeah like the Matrix thing. I'm not saying I want this movie to be the Matrix because I don't. I actually like that it's not an action movie and I kind of hate when it leans into similar to the movie Strange Days. I kind of hate when Strange Days streamlines into a uh, just a murder mystery movie. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I really love Strange Days, but, like, the movie is deeply flawed. But when Strange Days just be, decides to be a murder mystery, I feel like it, it, it abandons the sort of, like, massiveness of this thing. Similar to this movie, when this movie just decides to become a murder mystery and then, like, a kind of shitty murder thriller for the last act, I'm like, these ideas are so big. Why are you not exploring them in a way that's ambitious? <sighs> yeah, and I almost wonder, I'm... I'm, I'm putting some stuff out there that like I have no way to prove or deny whether it's true but it, my guess would be is that if we read the book or saw the world on a wire you know five hour six hour adaptation of this I don't know how similar the actual plot components are or just the concept is the same I don't know if the twists are the same but I imagine that this feels like uh, an adaption of that with all of the all of the like the the organs grinded out and again you're left with the bones of a of a story and a concept that's really good but it like let me let's talk a little bit about um so here's some i i wrote down a few concepts that i thought were really interesting but they are they're interesting to me the movie is in no way interested in in them at all i like the idea that um that these avatars, even though they're avatars, they do contain some sort of connection to the people that inhabit them. So, like, um, it's why Armin Mueller-Stahl, when when he is just his avatar in the 1930s version, he remembers a bunch of stuff about um, 1999 Armin Mueller-Stahl. So, like, that's an interesting concept. If you jack into a simulation are you imprinting like at what point does the consciousness switch do you guys share like is all that stuff buried for both of you and they touch on that a little bit and then that's that's it it's just they basically use that very interesting concept so that armin mueller stahl can uh give craig bierko the clue that he needs yeah and they abandoned this great actor in the act of doing that <laughs> he gets to be at a beach at the end yeah yeah and i really like um i really like the Moral implications. I like that Armin Mueller-Stahl, the, the real 90 or the, the simulation 1930s, he has now has a strained relationship with his wife because 1999 Armin Mueller-Stahl is jacking into his body and using that to go sleep with women. Like he's having affairs in uh, – well, I don't know if he's having affairs, but like he's you know having sex with these, these flappers and people that are working as dancers at this club they go to. And that has left Armin, 1930s Armin Mueller-Stahl like with a ruined marriage and he's like, I've never cheated on my wife ever. And he doesn't remember ever doing it, but his wife's left him. He's like in his study like a hermit now. Like this idea of the moral implications of – you know, that you could almost extrapolate to our world. Like, if I kill a character in a video game, like, is there is there a video game, like, family yeah. that has now, like, no longer has been has been hurt by that? Like, in this in this hypothetical universe where this, this simulation exists, like, he's – the people that are going in and killing people, the people that are going in and, like – because you, you don't just go in as yourself. You are taking over the body of – uh, someone who is existing without you when you're not there. So, like, again, wow, what an interesting concept to, to spend any time with. Uh, and Armin Mueller-Stahl is so great at, like, portraying the sadness of that, of literally uh, almost like almost like when someone has Alzheimer's. Like, he doesn't understand why his relationship has fallen apart. Yeah. Besides what his wife says. And that he found a suitcase 
with like a top hat. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. So like in the Matrix, uh, there's because we are comparing and contrasting this month. There's a scene at the beginning where Trinity disappears from the phone booth as the truck drives through it. Yep. And what they're basically doing is taking a plot mechanic, the fact that the phone is a means of escape and communicating that to you in a way that just kind of digs into your sense of mystery. It's kind of just like, hey, you want to find out more about this thing, right? You want to find out more about this thing. This movie doesn't do that with its very interesting mechanics, like the fact that you can get in there and you're just kind of dropped in this person's life. But it's very much like you're possessing someone you're yeah. not because when you leave they just go back to their life yeah and they wake up and go and it only affects some people because it's not like they made um people that are analogous to every person on earth like this is a secret project there's like four people in this world who are having this happen to them and they don't understand why yes and uh the <sighs> And, and and the fact that the movie doesn't – it's a lack of ambition. The movie doesn't stretch to ever – I want sci-fi movies to be overreaching and then fall short, right? I mean, ideally, they reach their, their tremendous heights. <laughs> ideally, like, I'd like movies to, to really fail. fall short. Yeah. yeah, But there is something charming about a sci-fi movie that's like, I reached for the moon. I didn't quite get there, but hey, I got pretty close to the moon. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you still got all the way out there. Like, n- nice work. This is something notable. With this, I'm like, you didn't reach that far, so someone could come in and take the basic concepts that you worked with here and go one direction with the matrix, mm-hmm. which is which is let's let's take these concepts and make them a sort of pop culture analogy for how our world feels artificial and we feel disconnected from each other and yada yada. The million themes that the matrix has. And then existence is like, let's make an art house horror body horror version that's exploring how people would treat it like a video game similar to craig bierko's uh 2024 uh psychopath version evil craig bierko um he 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 decides i'm gonna treat this like a video game and it doesn't matter they're not really real and and existence is about people wrangling with that like is this real is this not matrix is like it's it's asking different questions than that and it's kind of going off in its own direction 13th floor is such a base element that other movies could kind of pick up those base elements and move on and i don't think that there's anything in this that isn't contained and contained better in other simulated reality movies yeah, I think that's I think that's probably true. Uh, and I think even the idea of we're in a simulation, man, um, we're, we're actually the simulation. I, I, I feel like that concept has been explored more in the last 20 years. Like, I can't imagine uh, and I guess you would be an example of this, like showing this to someone uh, in 2019 and being like, wow, like. You know, because I, I was able to overlook the acting. I was able to overlook that stuff because the story and the twists and the very surface level concept felt exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is because, you know, I was 16. Some of the, the deeper analysis of these kind of metaphysical questioning movies, which what we're doing this month, was a little – wasn't as 
present to me. It was not something I was considering as much as like how wowed I was by twists. And one thing we kind of talked about with the Matrix, like the the stuff that I thought were amazing sci-fi concepts are a little are just kind of twists in this movie, right? They don't really explore the amazing sci-fi con like they don't, they don't get deep into that stuff. But it does have a couple of twists that, if you weren't prepared for them, feel very exciting. Um, and Matrix, you know, to compare back to the Matrix, like the Matrix doesn't have that. We talked about how actually how great that was. How you know you're basically introduced to the whole thing in like 30, 40 minutes, and then you're telling that story. Um, and this one, you know, you kind of get the the twist seventy minutes in, and then you have like a final act to wrap up stuff. Uh, with its own couple twists and getting to see the future and finally getting to see like, oh, I haven't been watching the real world. I finally get to see the real world at the end. And those quick glimpses of those buildings, like, yeah, that was exciting in 1999. Uh, although now it's really funny because it's 2024. <laughs> so it's five years away from this, uh, which is probably a different movie now where it's like, well, yep. Welcome to the future. We've had eight years of Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> and we're going to have at least eight more because he declared himself a dictator. So as you can see, here's where uh, outside of the beach, that's where all the dirt is. Because um, there's now just dirt everywhere. Uh, we're big dirt fans. Big dirt fans. But that's why we have the simulation. And that's why my husband's a murderer. Most people are murderers now. <laughs> you don't come to think of it. Everyone's really into a murder right now. I'm the weird exception. Yeah. Uh, Definitely yeah. not going to murder you when you turn around. Yeah. But most people Sorry, will. all of us, even when we're just talking about not murdering people, still sound like we're going to murder people. Kind of got my murdering blood up. Maybe I should be murdering. You know, one in Rome. Yeah. <laughs> the only two non-murderers are Gretchen Mull and Armin Mueller-Stahl from 2024. Uh, <laughs> they're like, we have a weird commune where we don't murder people. <laughs> But we still had to build simulations to murder people. How do you feel that Dennis Haysbert will never make it to 2024, but he will make it to 24? Doesn't he die in 24? Spoiler. So he, technically, he didn't make either 24s. Yeah. Not to the end. Yeah. He didn't make it to the end of either 24. I, I say live it up while you can, Dennis Haysbert, and buy some auto insurance. <laughs> from the from the general. Yeah. What, what does he do? Allstate? Yeah, he's Allstate. When I gave up TV from from oh, from paying for it, so they they took away the cable, which has all the commercials. So it's <laughs> been a while. That sounded like they came to your house and they're like, "You can't have this cable anymore." Uh, yeah, they turn it off once you say, "Here, take this box." I will not be paying for this anymore because I have streaming services. Um, I can't. In retrospect, it took me forever to do that. Uh, I am amazed that anyone is still paying for cable after I did after I got rid of it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I never was watching anything on here, uh, except when I was zoning out, which yeah. is a bad reason to pay a hundred bucks, hundred bucks a month for zone out time when I can still zone out with other things on the TV. It's a bad investment. Um, I let's talk a little. I know we talked about the love story. I want to get back into it a little bit because now that we've gone through the plot, <laughs> we I think we talked about it enough. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the acting. I want to talk about the mechanics of it. So Gretchen Mole, twenty twenty four Gretchen Mole, has fallen in love with nineteen ninety nine Craig Bierko. From we never see somehow the most impossible somehow. thing in the so, movie. So yeah, so and so she eventually falls in love with him. They never show how they um, 
watch what's going on in the simulation. You get jacked in and then we're in what I assume is like circuits and chips. So is there's there's a couple different things that, that happened. Either A, it's like a video game world except you can watch any part of the video game. So if I'm playing Skyrim, I can like, what's going on in this mountain? I can just watch what's happening in the world. Fine. Uh, like pixels and stuff like that. They never show that, which is probably good because it probably looks super goofy. But that literally means that she is watching what she knows is a video game, essentially, character or an NPC. <laughs> oh, no, wait. He's not an NPC. He is a playable character by one person. Um, and, uh, and he got played. And, and she's just sitting there w- watching the simulation like a soap opera and falling in love. Sure. But all this guy's doing is, like, building the thing that they already built. As far as we can tell, he seems like a workaholic. He doesn't have a a wife, a girlfriend. He lives in a crappy apartment. Um, so I, I, I don't know what was so inspiring about that, except I guess, unlike her real husband, wasn't murdering people. Uh, or two, that she was watching strings of code <laughs> and fell in love with what the strings of code were saying. Because she hadn't visited. That's very important. Like, she doesn't visit until Armin Mueller-Stahl is murdered by her real husband. Do you think maybe she she's just so into her husband's face, but she's like, I would love to just switch out his personality for literally anyone. <laughs> One or two things happened. She either fell in love with her second life character, mm-hmm. her Sims character, or she fell in love with sequel code. It is one of the two things that occurred in this movie <laughs> one of the two and and you know in a world where people are, are are finding unique things to turn them on and that there's there's uh you know it's not just about the extremities of, of pornographic content it's it's uh it's more about finding the specific things that turn you on in the asmr community and such maybe <laughs> you know, maybe there is a class of people and and within that class a class of women it looks at a bunch of sequel and uh, the panties start flying off. <laughs> yeah, because that is what this movie posits more than anything, and I don't want to kink shame. Uh, I would never but, kink shame, except no. for that Ray Davies made a bunch of really bad albums after the kinks probably should have broken up. That's not a kink shame. That's a shame for the kinks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and more for the kinks part. fans across Got the it. world. Um, let can I? I don't want to jump ahead to scenes. I don't know how long we're going to talk about this movie. Can I talk about the dumbest moment of this movie? Uh, good luck finding it, but yeah. So the the part that was the only time I was laughing. So there is a lot. I'll talk about some stuff I like in this movie. But the part I was literally laughing at how stupid it was that I didn't realize it then. There, so when Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, 1999 Vincent D'Onofrio finally jacks in, uh, his avatar is, this is worth it just to say jacks in this much. Uh, his avatar is driving a car. And he is like, whoa, and drives erratically and crashes into some stuff and stuff like that. And he gets, no, it is 1937. He gets pulled over by a cop. This cop acts exactly like a 1999 cop. <laughs> it is like license and registration. Uh, have you been drinking? 
Uh, you seem to got some oil leakage. You're going to want to go take that to the shop. Now, I don't know what it was like being pulled over by a 1930s cop or if there were traffic laws or if they would just a, a guy who literally crashed through an intersection and ran over the sidewalk. If they'd be like license and registration, please. I, they'd probably just shoot him, frame him. <laughs> Like, they would, I don't no, know. They would either shoot him or drop him off at the, the Ford dealership to get a new Model T. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the procedure was. I guarantee it wasn't license and registration and uh, you've been drinking. Were that Was it illegal to drink and drive? I don't think it was. I don't it think was it was illegal really. until like the 50s or 60s. <laughs> yeah, so the idea of like even asking you like, you've been drinking. But maybe maybe they're progressive about those laws in uh, fake 1930s L.A. Here's my point. I don't know what it was like to be pulled over by a 1937 era cop or if pulling over was a thing. But I will say this. They just shot your tires out. Look at Bonnie (laughs) and Clyde. The people who designed the 1937 simulation in this movie also didn't know what that did not have that information. And when they programmed that part, they were like, I don't know, just make it the same. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, were, they were like, we'll patch this, this later. We'll yeah, definitely can, figure this out later. Can, canonically, in the movie, the characters didn't know what what happened if you were pulled over by a 1937 <laughs> cop. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is really going to bake your noodle. The simulated people, they programmed the 1930s version. Mm-hmm. I assume there's already bugs in the, the 1999 version. Those bugs probably got carried down into the 1930s version, which means people in 2024 who no longer drive cars, they probably drive space (laughs) cars or something, that never get pulled over by the cops because we've made cops illegal. Yeah, it's all just military people because Trump is president. Yeah. It's just the army now. Yeah. Uh, just Marine Todd pulling everyone over to give them uh, special thanks for not having an abortion that day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so this is people from 2024 who probably also don't drive cars being like, I don't know. What did cops say? Well, what did they say in movies? And then it went to 1999. And then that, car- that code the carried down to 1930. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how much self-learning there was. You're right. That simulation did not have the information. Why didn't they have the information uh it isn't like the one thing i again not to not to dive deep into a concept that the movie is not clear about so they make it clear that if you drive or i shouldn't say the movie's not clear about it doesn't care about it so the point is like the way that you are able to understand you're in a simulation or see the see the literal seams of the simulation is if you do something that the simulation is not prepared for which is if I was all of a sudden like, I'm going to drive to Pierre, South Dakota. And somehow with that act uh, and uh, the simulation is going to throw up a bunch of roadblocks, literal roadblocks <laughs> um, <laughs> to stop me from getting there. But as long as I just don't give it a chance to, to make it, there's not going to be a Pierre, South Dakota. So and I'm going to get to the seams of the, the, the simulation. So, I guess my question, and again, it's not a question the movie is interested in answering, but I am kind of curious what your thoughts are. Do you think that there is a Pierre, South Dakota with people? Because, and that you can actually travel and go places? Because presumably the 1999 people have, like, been outside the city. Like, it's just this idea that if you do it on a whim, 
the simulation isn't able to catch up. But wouldn't there already be if, – if the simulation was all-encompassing, wouldn't there be a Pier South Dakota? And it's like, yeah, just drive to that. That's where we have we have simulated Pier South Dakotans in there too. We haven't stopped at this town. Like I, that's what I don't – I don't quite understand. Everyone in town is just like, it would be great to go to Scottsdale, Arizona, but your programming is essentially encouraging you not to go there and not to check it out. But so here's Unless, the problem why that doesn't that work. And the, and the code, the errant code, pushes you to act outside of your normal routine, your normal, your normal processing, uh, the, the, this extra bit of code, this bit of information, like, hey, go do something you'd never do before. And then the program is like, okay, I'll do that. Uh, and then it starts driving outside of town. And I'm guessing that no one in town has ever even thought of driving to Denver or Pierre, uh, South Dakota. But here's my problem with that. If that's the case, then why is it? Why do you need to drive to Pierre or like some or some place that you would never go? Scottsdale, Arizona, in the movie. Like, why couldn't you just drive out of the town fifty miles? Why don't we just steal answers from a better movie? And that's that. Without some sense of yearning, people within the simulator, you know, yearning or some because people just they want to go to Pierre, South Dakota, but they just can't find the right weekend, you know. Um, and without some sense of yearning, some sense of of you know a bigger world out there. Mm-hmm. the the simulation fails like maybe the simulation does not work if the inhabitants who were super complicated programs uh they, they it, it collapses in on itself like they talk about in the matrix how there's multiple iterations of the matrix that were just like straight up like really bad beta testing like we made everyone happy all the time it didn't fucking work but again then why couldn't you just say drive 100 miles outside of town for who who say drive a hundred miles outside? Like Armin, why couldn't why is it like pick a place you never go and keep driving there? Why why wouldn't it just be just drive outside of town until you can't drive anymore and you'll figure it out? Maybe the idea that maybe it's programmed that like there are limits to obviously there's there's you know western limits for the thirties the nineteen thirties audience which is the ocean but eastern limits like. Maybe the, maybe that's just how the programming works. Is that it's it's just like uh, these places exist, but you never want to go there. Yeah, I think that's what, so. Like, so that is something. Again, the movie is not interested in it, but I do find that interesting. Like, what would make it different? Is is it something where if you sit a hundred miles outside of town, um, the that like that has been programmed by the simulations because that concept has been in there. So you really have to go pick some place you would never go. Yeah. Because the simulation hasn't accounted for that at any point. I think this might be what you're saying. But also, why is this uh, – who, who's the fucking Because if you say 200 miles, yeah. Who's the fucking slacker who was like, all right, I got like, I don't know, 20 minutes outside of town. It's Friday. I'm going to lunch. <laughs> Here's the other thing. Why did they have to drive up to it? Like, is it, it doesn't not show up until you hit the seams. Wouldn't they be like – Holy shit, you see that? Like, probably 10 miles. It's Arizona. It looks very flat. To be like, 
I think that might be like a simulation border. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep driving till I'm literally right up at it. I, I, maybe it's like in video games when there's like um, skyboxes and the skyboxes go way the fuck further than the actual invisible walls that keep you in the thing. That's a good, that's a good point. Like that just happened to me in a game where I was like swimming and I'm like, oh, all of a sudden the water got hard. <laughs> Can't keep swimming that way. God damn it. Hard water. Not not hard, impassable water <laughs> that my character's head keeps bouncing against. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess games are so point. big that they're just like they're just like yeah, you can go you can go ten miles outside of the limits in The Witcher Three and go into the ocean until until you hit an invisible wall. But it's gonna take you like half an hour to get there. Like, do you want to do that? Why do I you also... want to do? And then you get there and you're like, ah, I found an invisible wall. There's nothing out here for 30 minutes. I also think that, and this probably is a Futurama episode, I think this has the making of a movie where if you got, like, you do a trailer that makes it look like it's just about, like, a simulation or whatever, like, whatever these trailers were. But then you throw that out 20 minutes in, and then it is just about trying to figure out what the real level is, and you just keep going through simulations. Um, that That feels like something that if you're like... We don't need a twist. Let's just explore the concept of how deep are we in this simulation? Yeah, that would be that would be a way cooler take on the um, Ready Player One or Sucker Punch sort of thing where they're like, we just want to go through a bunch of drama. We just want to go through a bunch of, uh, you know, different uh, properties and different realities and, and different, uh, you know, planes of existence. Um, it, a way cooler take would be like somebody becoming self-aware within that and being like, I'm just going to keep cracking through these tiers until I find the top. I find what's actually real. And then twist ending, last tier, caveman drawing. Caveman drawing. And you're like, fuck, I'm going to go back to the one with like dragons and shit. Yeah, that's like the battle. I'm going to go back to one where the, like... the Master Chief's really horny. <laughs> he's only horny. He's all, he's also horny for a simulation. Him and Gretchen Mole, I think, would get along. Yeah. Both, though I think Cortana has way, way more personality than Craig Bierko. Uh, uh, I I think the uh, the case that my Halo Three game came in has more um, more personality than Craig Bierko. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a couple things I wanted. So I really do like uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, in this movie, he plays. I such can't a good... get enough of him. I can't get enough. Uh, I love when his 1930s version decides that there's nothing worth living for anymore, and starts like um, I don't know, like he starts prancing around, like he's just having so much fun being a murderous killer. He like starts dancing, and it's so like. It's underplayed enough that you could be like, is he dancing? But then as you like focus on it, you're like, no, he's definitely like doing dance moves to go kill Craig Bierko. And the that is one of the big problems of the finale is that Craig Bierko plays the psychopath instead of Vincent D'Onofrio. Like you have Vincent D'Onofrio in your fucking movie and you sideline him for Craig Bierko. You shitting me here? Craig Bierko plays the psychopath? You fucking kidding me? <laughs> You, are you fucking kidding? I also really like that when um when so when uh 1930s D'Onofrio goes into 1999 D'Onofrio 
uh, you know, I think there's other concepts of like this killer from the past ending up in, you know, it's kind of like time after time a little. But I love how he is not at any point a threat. He understands gun. But then everything else, like uh, Craig Bierko turns off TVs and he's like, turn the world back on. Turn the world back on. Like, and Craig Bierko, while he also doesn't care that much because he knows he's in a simulation now. It is just like, yeah, this is like, that's a big jump from 1937 to 1999. Uh, and we're already in kind of a futuristic virtual reality thing. So, yeah, sure. Like, you are not a – I kind of – like, that is a fun little mini twist where you think this crazy serial killer got – got is let loose into the quote-unquote present. And he's just immediately just baffled and confused and easily fooled. That is a good that, – that would be a good twist if they ran somewhere with it. But instead, it's sort they of did. just it, – it's just a um, – Red herring, essentially. Yeah. You, you think he's going to be the main villain, but instead there's another Pierco. Um, I actually think that you uh, – see, I always took it as you – you're supposed to think that he's – because you understand now the jumping concept, especially with D'Onofrio doing it. I think you're supposed to think he's going to kill evil Craig Bierko. And then when he gets shot first by 2024 Craig Bierko, I think you're supposed to go, oh, fuck. Well, how is – 1999 Craig Bierko going to ascend. And, and I guess the mechanics sort of make sense for that. I can't really complain, but it does create a situation where I'm like, couldn't we have kept Enofrio on a little longer? <laughs> yeah, he's he's by far the best part of this movie. And it's nice as a, like almost a test case for the concepts of the movie, but it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't run with it that much. But it's like a test case for the concepts of the movie, like someone who realizes their reality and can't fucking deal with it. So they just decide to like start on. Unf- uh, unleashing abject violence and it made yeah. me wish that fucking Vincent D'Onofrio was the lead of this movie and discovering because he he decided to to be an asshole and read someone's letter that wasn't you know for him uh, he decides to uh, read this letter he discovers some fucked up shit about his, his universe and then he tries to do what you were talking about ascend levels or get some sort of truth yeah yeah I think the version from D'Onofrio's like perspective is interesting where he literally is just a bartender and you know if they could keep keep it under lids in what you think is a 1930s movie um, I think that's always the hardest part I the, the problem with those types of movies were like, hey, I think I'm going to a movie set in the 30s where Vincent D'Onofrio is a bartender. And then 30 minutes in, he realizes that he's a computer program and then you go from there. It's like a lot of the fantasy concepts that, that I think a lot of us have had uh, about like watching a movie that you don't know is a Godzilla movie. And then all of a sudden Godzilla shows up or watching a um, – a movie like with a superhero character that you don't realize is a Batman movie. I think those – and I, I like the idea of like watching a, a trippy sci-fi simulation type movie where you just think it's like, oh, it's a 1930s movie. And then all of a sudden pretty early on it gets weird. But somehow they're able to keep that. And I, I kind of slipped up and said Cloverfield because if we all remember, like that was one of the big I, theories of Cloverfield, that it was a secret Godzilla movie. That they weren't going to tell us Godzilla was in it. And I always – I really do like that as a concept. I just can't – what would have been a you know possible 50 years ago. Uh, even that could have been tough 50 years ago. Uh, like it just would be impossible now to really release a movie. Uh, maybe you could do it to Netflix with, with such a huge component, a huge property or a huge idea that's that deeply hidden. Because the, then even if you do do it – 
it comes out and it's like, ah, I don't care about the bartending D'Onofrio movie. And it's like, no, dude, just watch them. Like, it gets crazy. And they like, would have you... to, and they would have to promise it to you in ways that are very like vague and strange and like without blowing that. How do you how do you visually show in a matter of seconds that there's a twist without showing that there's a twist? Yeah, exactly. Showing the twist. <laughs> You're like, oh, um, they go to the future. You just showed me a shot of the future. <laughs> yeah, like you yeah, you can't show like what's happening, man, uh, or even like even that moment because you're like, I don't know, why is there neon green in this bartending dirty <laughs> movie? And um, also, people are fucking babies, and they they do not take well to what they feel like is a bait and switch thing with movies. Like, yeah, there's a woman who sued the Nicholas Winding Refn for. Because Drive did, wasn't enough like a Fast and the Furious movie. I'm sure there's good examples of this, but I do love the idea of really putting us to the characters, the characters level so much that we also don't see what's going on. Um, but then not saving it for the end of the movie, because that's movies that do that really well usually do have a twist where all of a sudden we, you know, Sixth Sense is a great example, right? We're in Bruce Willis's like headspace the whole time. So when the twist comes were flabbergasted by it because Bruce Willis didn't know he was a ghost and we uh, you know we're we're so in his world that we also have been seeing from his perspective so it's a surprise to the audience uh but no one does it 20 minutes in right like if that if it was the sixth sense but then now it's a whole movie about like uh, now it's a horror movie about he's a ghost that haunts you know whatever else it is like those kind of like we're so zoomed into a character that we don't see the reality is almost always saved for the end. Yeah. 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 That was, uh, that was something I read recently about the matrix is that if JJ Abrams made the matrix, it would be, uh, it, the, the whole movie would be, you, you didn't read that. I said that last week. Yeah. The, oh, okay. Yeah. The whole thing would be, <laughs> would be, Anderson. that's good. I, I feel, I feel like my, uh, my ideas now have a certain amount of weight because, uh, I was just told my own idea back to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well now it's bouncing back again and then you can tell it to me again in a future episode and then I can bounce it back. And then, uh, I will always just say I read it in an article. Um, but I, <laughs> so I read this an article idiot. recently, uh, the article was Aaron and the, <laughs> that, that, uh, that whole idea that if JJ Abrams made the matrix, yeah, the, the, the twist would be at the end. It wouldn't be yeah. slowly, uh, you know, ratcheted up from scene by scene at the beginning of the movie because the Wachowskis are like, we, we're making a weird movie. We're just going to, you know, ease you in a little bit fast, a little bit more uh, artfully than some movies would. And uh, this movie is like, instead of doing that or doing the thing where the twist is, is at the very end because the twist that the twist that they're um, – they're also in a virtual reality world is is sometime in the second act, right? It's not a twist. Yeah, it's it, it leads to the third act. Yeah. And that whole thing. The the act of the act of discovering that he's in these other worlds kicks off the events of the third act, and it's almost like I wish that the movie I wish that Vincent D'Onofrio kicked off the movie by discovering he's in a fake world. We follow yeah. him for a while. At some point, we have to follow someone from another tier, probably. But, like, the fact that we're not engaged to any of the planes, really, 
is troubling for the movie. We're not engaged yeah. to the 1999 plane or the 1930s plane. And then when we get to the future, the future looks like shit. So like, <laughs> like I, 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 at the end of dark city, there's this feeling of melancholy. We are like, I don't know if the new world is going to be great or not. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it'll be better than living this complete lie probably because the lies seem to exist to make people miserable. Yeah, um, but we're still lab rats floating through space in a world we don't understand. And and everyone's kind of set with their last reset, too, which is like a scary concept. Multiple levels in this movie is that I don't want to live in any of them. Like the 1930s one is very enticing at first because the 1930s world is like one that's fun. To, it's fun to watch these kind of period pieces and yeah. to, to see these – uh, these worlds come to life, but the 1999 version of the future is really boring. The 2024 version of the future is really boring. Like, there's yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not being grabbed by anything in this movie. Yeah, the this, that stuff doesn't really grab you again. It's really the plot if you're invested at all, which I, which I was, is moving you along. But the one fun detail that they have that I really like, and again, more of this would have been amazing, is kind of acknowledging that this is still a computer program there. They're still working up the kinks in. When Craig Bierko first goes back, or those first few scenes as well, um, it looks like like quasi-sepia-toned, uh, like uh, like the way King Kong... 2005 look not not as good cinematography wise but like it has like quasi black and white quasi sepia but still color that dulled color Mm -hmm. and and at first you're like oh that's a kind of a cool choice to separate the time periods and then after craig bierko gets back for the first time he tells vincent d'onofrio yeah, it, uh, it it actually looks really real, but we should probably fix the color correction. It looks a little too old-timey. And then when they go back the next couple times, it doesn't look like that anymore. And I think that's a really cool touch. Like, that is one of the few moments of, like, cleverness where you as an audience are like, oh, I see what they're doing. They're making the cinematography look different for different time periods. And then you have a character go, yeah, we need to fix the color correction. We We overdid it. And then it changes the next time they go back. Like, that's a great uh, – that's a great way to remind the characters that you're in a simulation without, like, yelling it out to people in this very subtle way that the, the visual language of it is changing uh, in a way that only would happen if in a computer program. That is the movie playing with its own ideas and it definitely caught me off guard because I thought the movie was going to be more playful after that. And it, it's, yeah. just, it's just not, um, which is unfortunate. No. We didn't talk about what uh, Dennis Haysbert's character's name is uh, in the movie. Uh, Simulation. Uh, he's a cop. And his name is McBain. Is it, is it really? Yeah, it's, it's McBain. Yeah, that's unforgivable. This movie is like eight years after The Simpsons came out. Uh, well, it had. I hope it was on purpose, or else nothing makes sense. But that's that's fun. I've never seen. I don't think I've seen a real movie where a cop is named McBain. <laughs> that's so fucking weird. In a non-comedy movie where Dennis Haysbert is very serious. But yeah, he's named McBain. He's uh, named he's named McBain, and he does get to shoot the uh, the bad guy, and he says, "Craig Beer, go to hell." <laughs> the goggles, 
They do nothing. <laughs> the VR goggles, uh, specifically. Uh, but uh, <laughs> nice punch up on your own joke. Thank you. Uh, I try my best. Uh, uh, the the other thing I'll say is that this this movie actually surprised me. So it got terrible reviews when it was released. Not surprising. Uh, for a movie that feels overwhelmingly forgotten, I'm surprised. Uh, not that this matters, but I was surprised to see that this has a very high IMDb uh, ranking rating. Like it has like a seven point two, which just feels bizarre. That is bizarre. Um, who watches this movie? In the context that people usually watch these movies in, which is everything else. In a, in a post-Westworld world, why would you watch this movie and be like, pretty good. And I know yeah. Westworld has its problems, but like, so I, I love the Matrix trilogy. It also has its problems. But like all of these, we have like a density of movies that are about like what is real, what makes someone real. We also have, if you want to explore the idea of whether or not these are real people, um, the the idea of whether or not that you have personhood if you're you know within a system. Um, there's both Blade Runner movies and a million movies that surround that. Like, if you're just into cool VR shit, there's the Tron movies. Like, I'm not sure who would watch this movie in in the modern sort of review context, which is basically, I want the best version of this movie, which isn't fair. Um, yeah. And, and be like, yeah, it's about a seven. It feels like a legacy pick. Uh, but, you know, it did, it did occur to me that, like, thinking about this, um... I don't think this is considered, like, a bad movie. My guess is it's probably most people like me who do, like, legacy, like, letterbox rankings. Where it's like, yeah, it's like a it's like a three and a half. Four. And I haven't seen it in 20 years. But I remember seeing it 20 years ago and liking it. Um, and I, I think that probably tells us a little bit about, like, I don't hear this movie when I do hear it talked about as a bad movie or something that people don't like. I see it talked about as one of two things. Like, oh, you know, World on a Wire, that's like – or 13 Floors based on World on a Wire. And and you have to see World on a Wire. So, it's kind of has a connection to a much cooler version of itself. But no one is like dismissing this as the shitty version. It's just like there's a better version. Or, or as like the movie that could have been bigger if The Matrix hadn't walked all over it from its concept, which I think is – Again, not accurate, but I mean, you never hear this like bandied about as like a shitty movie, do you? And I guess maybe the IMDb rankings like reflect that as people who saw it in probably the era and went, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I I don't I I, I don't really hear anything about it. And I've heard it a few times bandied about as like, oh, this is a fun little sci-fi movie you should check out because like for a bunch of years we weren't getting sci-fi movies so we were in the desert and we would take any any sustenance we could get yeah well and the average even on letterbox the average ranking is 3.1 that's a like, passing score that's a passing score especially for letterbox rankers yeah oh yeah which tend Half to be very aggressive and the hot take tends to be far more important than the actual yeah and also who's like i you and i give a lot of three-star reviews uh, yeah, I gave this three stars. I still it's, we it's give a lot of three star reviews. It's never fun to log a three star. It's never fun. No, you're just, you're, you're like you're like sure, oh yeah, this was this was in fact a film. 
Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, our thoughts are really locked in on this. So I guess, uh, I guess my final thoughts are this. Uh, it was fun to revisit something, uh, both to laugh at my idiocy for uh, preferring this to the Matrix for a very short, very short time frame. It's okay. We've all made I think until, I think until I watched both on video and I was like, what? No, I'm incorrect. <laughs> uh, which, which is why I kept watching The Matrix and then never watched The 13th Floor again. Uh, but it was fun to revisit. Um, I still I still really want to watch World on a Wire at some point. I think if the the one thing that kind of made, made me sad watching this besides having to see Craig Bierko at all uh, is that like, again, not to sound – Sometimes I think we're getting more and more like back in my day, but the the twelve million dollar sci fi twelve million sixteen million dollar budgeted uh, rated R sci fi movie that just you know is like mid budget gets released to theaters isn't meant for kids doesn't need to like uh you know to, to appeal to um. To appeal to like some audience besides just people who want to go see adult movies is like I feel like it's it's a little bit missing out. Like we still get these a lot of times as like indie features, um, but it, it it sounds we it sounds weird to say this, but there is a level of mediocrity to this that I miss in like what used to qualify as getting a theatrical release. Not because I enjoyed the mediocrity, I would like movies to be good. <laughs> But big fan fact, of good movies. It was. It just feels like the amount of movies that got their chance was wider when you like see movies like this. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just we lived in a smaller world then. This would be a Netflix movie now, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, no, it'd be a Black Mirror episode if anything. <laughs> But that uh, there's a lot of movies that I see now that I'm like, there should have been a 50 minute, like you didn't have enough for a movie. You had enough for an anthology movie, <laughs> like a f- 50 minute segment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and very often it's like uh, what gets you into trouble is having to drag asses in seats. So and in, in the modern world, like stuff like Black Mirror can exist where like all, all you have to do is fuck with someone's head and people are like, that episode was great. Um, and uh, and with this, like they needed to get they, they, the producers were thinking we need to get asses in seat. So I guess this is my kind of my final thoughts. The the fact that they were trying to get asses in seats and the their means of getting there was to lower the ambitions, lower the bar constantly until it reached a point where it was like, well, this is a movie that has it's basically a murder mystery with some simulate uh, some uh, simulated reality tropes in it, and it's not going to really question make you question your reality in any compelling way, and it's not going to uh, be the best murder movie you've ever seen, not even close. It's just going to be like a sort of blandly presentable murder movie, uh, and it's not going to give you any sort of like. Uh, great drama to chew on either so it it doesn't quite work as as any as anything but it kind of passes some some check marks on its way there so it's so it's like approaching passable and like that that sort of lack of ambition is why that because it doesn't swing for anything and there's nothing really like there's there's very little in it that's worth laughing at about because there's 
there's no great swings being taken to laugh at the misses or to admire the misses. Yeah, I guess, you know, there's just a part of me that, and this is definitely nostalgia glasses that like can't help but see movies like this or um, as like a little bit of an oasis in a desert, uh, which is such a weird, like, I'm not, I'm not looking to go back to the desert because now it feels like every other week in theaters or released on Netflix or Amazon or something. There's a movie I want to see. Like, I feel like I can't keep up. Um, but, you know, back in 1999, which was a very good movie uh, year for movies, uh, having a movie that I was, like, really, really interested in seeing felt rare. There were there were movies I went and saw because, uh, like, the whole nine yards, you know, because it's like, oh, this looks fun. Let's go. I like going to movies. But that kind of like, holy shit, I need to see this felt a little rarer, let alone a science fiction movie that was like adult fare rated R and released to theater. So, you know, I definitely have some nostalgia filled glasses, not for again, it feels weird to say that I feel nostalgia for a time when things were worse. I don't. I'm much happier now. But there, there is something when I look back on this movie and see an oasis where, when I needed water. That's a great way of sort of compartmentalizing your your nostalgia for it in a safe in a safe way because like yeah, it served a it served a purpose for you for a long time and like it's yeah. worth exploring. I'm glad I have water. Reason. I'm glad I have way more water now. Yeah. I don't want to be dying of thirst. That's dying of thirst is worse. But how we literally can you have a Jordan Peele Twilight Zone show that's coming up. Like. And I can't get to it because I still have other sci-fi stuff I've been excited to see that I need to get to first. Yeah, we're we're yeah. living in a time where uh, we're living in a time of wealth of great sci-fi head thinky options. Um, yeah. Some of them trashier than others, some of them less successful than others. But like we live in a world where Westworld is like a huge show on HBO. No matter yeah. what you think of Westworld, the fact that this weird show that like is ostensibly genre, a genre work that a sci-fi Western, a sci-fi Western <laughs> that like next season might involve samurais and a, sci- a cyberpunk revolution or some shit. I don't fucking know. Like the fact that like we live in a world where this super expensive uh, thing exists and this Netflix is pumping money into Black Mirror and Twilight Zone is coming back with like one of our our uh, generation's great horror auteurs behind it. Like we, we don't need it as much, but I'm glad that we were able to put this into a context for your experience with it because it makes it far more interesting than just like yeah. this dumb movie from 1999 that's not as good as The Matrix. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is the it is the twin forgotten Matrix movie from 1999. Made sense that we were covering it, but yeah, next week we're moving on to one that I oh my gosh, I'm so excited to revisit. It's been probably 15, 16 years. Uh, this and is one that I this is one I was pushing for us to do on the show very early. So this is this is uh, exciting for me. Yeah, uh, our third Cronenberg movie uh, after Shivers and the Fly. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so there's still a lot of Cronenberg in our future. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, this is, this is a really big one. I think, uh, this is, I think this is his last masterpiece that is Cronenbergian. Like, I really like History of Violence. I love Eastern Promises. Uh, I even really like A Map to the Stars. But I, I do feel like this was his last, like, weird body horror movie. Unless there's something I'm forgetting, which I don't think there is. 
so excited yeah, to revisit. Yeah, yeah. He, he keeps exploring his themes beyond uh, those movies, but the, this is the last traditional Cronenberg body horror movie, a hundred percent. So I'm excited to go there. And then I, I guess I haven't. I don't think I've asked you this. Have you seen either or both Tron movies? Uh, yeah, I've seen Legacy, and I, I remember really liking it a lot. And uh, I saw the original when I was a kid, but it's been a very long time. Excellent. So, yeah, I, I've said before, I really like those movies um, and I'm excited to it's been a, I haven't seen Tron since I was in college and I surprisingly loved it. Uh, watched it out of just a sense of obligation and kind of fell in love with the story um, and uh, really liked Tron Le- Legacy as well. Um, and we're so, yeah, we're going to wrap up the month with with uh, non-1999 movies with guest Connor Malcolm Crockford. Uh and yeah, I'm I'm very excited to get into existence and uh, and one where uh, we will have uh, spend a lot of time together and maybe maybe the maybe it's good we got Connor there in case it's awkward between us, Peter, because we're gonna spend a whole weekend together in between the recording of Existence and uh, Tron Tron Legacy. We might be uh, ready to get out of uh, our simulation of having to exist in the real world together at the same time and back into back into where we just are talking to each other in bits and bytes. <laughs> yeah, how do I know you're even real, man? Well, we did meet once before, but maybe I was jacked in and jacking off. Is Minnesota in the summertime even real? <laughs> uh, well, we're getting 18 inches of snow on th- two days, so no. Anyway, uh, yeah, Peter, I wish you to uh, once again get off on the 13th floor, but this time get off forever. Yeah, log Go, off, jack no. in, jack out. Jack off? Jack off. Get in? Get in to get my off. dream car. <laughs> get in the backseat, baby. Uh, let's get it on. Get it on the floor. 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 Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.